In your Bibles tonight, 2 Samuel chapter number 1. 2 Samuel chapter number 1. If we're going to understand 2 Samuel chapter number 1, we're going to have to read a couple other short passages of Scripture. I want to begin this question, begin my message with this question. How did Saul and Jonathan die? We've been preaching through 1 Samuel, and the question I've got to ask you is, how did Saul and Jonathan die? If you'll keep your finger in first in 2 Samuel chapter number 1 and turn back with me just a page to 1 Samuel chapter number 31, I'll read to you a few verses that answer this question. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter number 31, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him. And he was sore wounded the archers. Then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day Together, That answers pretty clearly how Saul died, correct? If you keep your finger in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and turn over a few pages to another book in the Old Testament, the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 10. It's about three or four books uh, as you turn toward the New Testament in your Bible. And I want you to find with me 1 Chronicles chapter number 10, because it's very important that we see what the Bible has to say about how Saul died. 1 Chronicles chapter number 10, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible said, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and after his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab, and Malchishua, the sons of Saul, and the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was wounded the archers. Then said Saul to his armor-bearer, Draw thy sword, and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. So Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise on the sword and died. So Saul died and his three sons and all his house died together. And when all the men of Israel that were in the valley saw that, they fled. And that Saul and his sons were dead, then they forsook their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. And how did Saul die? Well, that gives us a pretty clear picture of how Saul died. Just out of interest's sake, look at verse 13 of this same chapter. The Bible says and gives us clarity as to why Saul died. Look what it says in verse 13. So Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking, from a, asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it, and inquired not of the Lord, therefore he slew him, and turned the kingdom unto David, the son of Jesse. And we come to this Two stories, and we see how Saul died. 
It's a pretty simple story, and it's a tragic, sad story, but Jonathan is killed by the Philistines, who the nation of Israel with Saul and Jonathan and the other sons of Saul are fighting the Philistines, and they are killed by the Philistines. Saul's death is a little bit different. Saul is... uh, fighting and he is struck by archers and he's down and he understands and is concerned that the Philistines, if they catch him alive, that he'll be abused. And he looks at his armor bearer and he says, pierce me through with my sword, kill me. His armor bearer wouldn't do it. And so Saul falls on his own sword. And uh, the Bible says that Saul is dead. When his armor bearer sees that he's dead, the armor bearer is so distraught that he falls on his sword and dies also. And Saul and his sons are dead on the battlefield with the Philistines. Now what's that have to do with our story today? I'm going to read you the story and you can answer it for yourself. Now what we've got to understand is Saul and his men and the nation of Israel proper were fighting against the Philistines. At the exact same time, David has led his mighty men. He's in a different place, in a place called Ziklag is where they found their encampment and their home for the time. Ziklag has been raided. The wives and children have been taken captive. And God leads David and his men to go fight another battle. At the same time that Saul and his sons and the nation of Israel are fighting, And David and his men are fighting the Amalekites. So David doesn't know in Ziklag yet what happened to Saul in the Mount of Gilboa as he was fighting against the Philistines. So here's how 2 Samuel begins, verse number 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came even to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered, that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people also are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto him, said unto the young man that told him, How knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan his son be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, And lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him. Because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them. And likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son. 
and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of, an, of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. What an unusual start to a book of the Bible. And what a fascinating story. I'll just tell you, this uh, young man made a very foolish calculation. In the back of his mind, no doubt he thought, if I tell David that I slew his great enemy Saul, then surely I'll find favor among David and his men. But this man, the Amalekite, had no clue of the heart of David. And his willingness to forgive Saul and to honor Saul without regard to the nasty nature that Saul had had for all these years against him. The young Amalekite, according to the command of God to destroy all of the Amalekites, was slain that day. The young Malachite, the Amalekite, because of his false testimony and his lying, faced the penalty and judgment of God. It's a fascinating story. So we conclude this chapter from verses number 17 to verse number 27. David writes a lamentation. It's a lot like a psalm. It was his mourning. It was his words of mourning. And this chapter is concluded with that, the last 10 verses. And there's a phrase that happens over and over again in this text. Verse number 19, look at it with me. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? And then again in verse number 25. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Again in verse number 27. How are the mighty fallen? And the burden of David's heart in this scene and setting is this statement, not with a question mark. Sometimes we say, how? Uh, but this is an exclamation. He says, how are the mighty fallen? The way we use the, this word is we're like, my, how rainy it's been outside. We say, my, how good lunch was today. We say, my, how short the nap was. You understand? And so in this text, David's heart just keeps going. He's like, wow, my, how the mighty are fallen. He's mourning that this season has come to an end. He's mourning that the tragedy of the loss. My, how the mighty are fallen. And we'll take this chapter and preach the message, how the mighty are fallen, because it's the emphasis of David. But there's a story to be told and some lessons to be learned. And we'll begin here, number one, with this a simple point, number one, the lying Amalekite. How many of you, as we read chapter number one in the story of the Amalekite, you began to say, aha, this guy is not telling the truth. You see, if you read this text by itself, you're like, wow, that's fascinating that this young man killed the king. But the truth is he didn't kill the king at all. 
We see in the story, we'll begin just working our way through it, some things that will jump off of the page as we look at God's Word together. The Bible says in verse 1, It came to pass after the death of Saul when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites and David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came even to pass on the third day that behold a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent. As far as we know to this point, David doesn't know yet what has happened to Saul and Jonathan. And there's a young man that comes out to the camp of David with his clothes rent, earth upon his head. He's dirty. And the Bible says, so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. David said unto him, from whence comest thou? And he said unto him, out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. Now we have beginnings of truth. There's no doubt that he has been in the presence of King Saul because he comes to David with Saul's crown and Saul's bracelet and some royal garb that Saul had on that had been taken off of his body. The young man is asked by David, tell me about Saul and Jonathan. Tell me how they died. How do you know they're dead? In verse 6, the young man told him, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear. Now, we can pick this thing apart. Did Saul lean upon his spear? Now, if we were trying to reconcile this, we know that Saul actually fell on his sword and committed suicide. And when we see this picture here, the guy said Saul was leaning on his, on his spear. He was wore out. He was tired. When we th- see this picture of somebody leaning on their, on their spear, it's like a state worker leaning on a shovel. Does that make sense? <laughs> I love all you state workers, I promise. He's leaning on his spear. He's taking a break. He's catching his breath and He's been injured in some form or fashion. and The young Amalekite makes up a terrible lie. You know what the Amalekite's doing? The Amalekite has this mentality. He's like, you know what? David is a person of prestige and power. David, as far as I can tell, will be the next great ruler in the nation of Israel. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get on his good side. Folks, If you ever get to the place where you're willing to be dishonest in order to have any type of power and prestige in this world, you are getting ready to walk down a path that will hurt you and the people around you. We should determine in our hearts to be the kind of people who it does not matter if we have power, prestige, privilege, and opportunity if we have no character left at the end of the day. Your character... It's far more important than your opportunity in this world. And we'll see from this young Amalekite, it breaks my heart to see this Amalekite lose his life. But when you go down the path of dishonesty to try to get some type of power, you will always end up in the kind of trouble that the young Amalekite found himself in because this lying young Amalekite had great plans, but he had a terrible miscalculation. You see, if you forsake integrity if you forsake integrity you always lose oh how many people along life's way have you met with lots of things but no integrity left you meet people with lots of money but no character to speak of no trusted friends because their path to success is Not success at all because it's been the product of dishonesty. 
There's a verse that comes to mind. The Bible says the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bowls on. You'll meet people who've cheated and lied and stole to get to where they are today, and they're scared of their own shadow. Why? Because they left their integrity long ago. You see this lying Amalekite, this boy, he thought, oh, wow, yes, here's my chance. He robs the corpse of King Saul, and he goes straight to David, and he says, ha, 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 here's my opportunity to have favor with a man that's getting ready to have lots of power. And his lie came back to bite him. His lie came back to haunt him. Unless you think somehow this doesn't apply to you, it does. It does. You see, the honesty of our mouths, the integrity of our lives is of utmost importance. Be the kind of person that won't cheat. Be the kind of person who won't lie. Be the kind of person who will do what's right and trust God with the results. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a situation similar to the lying Amalekite. You made a terrible mistake. The lying Amalekite, the boy tells the story, continues in verse number 7. He says, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me, and I answered, here am I. He said unto me, who art thou? I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me. For anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. He says, Saul asked me to stand on top of him and kill him. And so I did. Verse 10, So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Now, I can't imagine but think that the young Amalekite thought, boy, I've really told a good, believable, honorable story. But then he sees the reaction of David. How do you think he expected David to react? Now, the truth is, Saul, for 10 years now, for 10 years, Saul has chased David like a dog. And on a couple occasions, God has given David and his men a chance to even slay Saul. But David, even when his men wanted to, would not allow that. He says, I'll not raise my hand against the anointed. This young Amalekite who's told a big fat lie is in for the shock of a lifetime when he sees the reaction that David and his men have to the lie that is told and the truth that David and Jonathan are dead, and the nation of Israel has been defeated once again by the Philistines. Look what happens. How does David respond? Verse number 11. Then David took hold on his clothes and rent them, and likewise all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. First point I want to talk about this morning, this evening was the lying Amalekite. Secondly, I want to talk about David and his mourning men. Now, I was taken by surprise, not that David would mourn over Saul, but the Bible says that David mourned over Saul and rent his clothes, and likewise all the men 
that were with him. How did David respond? I can just see on the face of the Amalekite all the hope running out of his face when David, with a broken heart, rends his clothes and begins to mourn and weep out loud. Not only David mourning and weeping out loud, but also David's mighty men. Now David's weeping and mourning over the death of Saul. The Bible says over the death of Saul first, over the death of Jonathan second, over the nation of Israel, third. And they're mourning. The Amalekite boy is terrified, no doubt. But David is mourning. The thing that I think that impressed me the most about verse number 11 is this, though. David rent his clothes, and likewise all the men that were with him. What has transpired in the hearts of David's men? It wasn't just long, it wasn't very long ago that David and his men were in a cave and Saul is in a vulnerable position and David has the opportunity to kill him. And David's men is like, here's your chance. The Lord has delivered him. Here's your chance. The Lord has delivered him. Here's your chance. The Lord has delivered him. And David actually deflates and hurts the feelings of his men and says, I'll not raise my hand against the Lord anointed. I'd rather run from him than kill him. Something has transpired, though. The exact same men who recently were willing to take Saul's life had had a change of heart, and when Saul is dead, they mourn his death. I don't know about you, but when I see this, I'm thankful for the leadership of David because God is using David to change the hearts of those group of men to have a heart that pleases the Lord and not a heart that seeks after revenge. Do you know that You are or you soon shall be what your friends and acquaintance are. David's spirit and David's principle has rolled over and boiled over into the lives of his men. And when they hear that Saul, the very man they hoped would die recently, when they hear that Saul is dead, with David they mourn his death. I'm encouraged by the influence of David and I'm challenged to use what little influence the Lord has given me to help other people have the right spirit about the wrong people and the issues of life. We talk about the lying Amalekite. Then we talk about David and his mourning men. And number three, we need to talk about a grave miscalculation. What's the Amalekite boy face? The Bible says in verse 13, Verse 13, David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? He answered, I am the son of a stranger in Amalekite. Why did he say that? He's trying his best to smooth the situation. There was a principle in the Old Testament law that if you were an alien seeking refuge from a foreign country, that you, the nation of Israel was required by the Old Testament law to harbor you and protect you. Does that sound familiar to some of the, the laws of our land? And it's a good law. It's a merciful, gracious law. But this man, the Amalekite, was trying to abuse it. He says, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. Verse 14. And David said to him, Wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Were you not afraid to kill the anointed of God, King Saul? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. 
And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth has testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. I like that phrase, thy mouth hath testified against thee. What happens? This Amalekite boy who is willing to lie to get power and prestige, his lying, his cheating, his dishonesty, his willing deceit, cost him what it always cost us, everything. May God help us to learn from this young man. You see, we move now in this text to one other place. David's lamentation. I've prayed about how to preach this. How the mighty have fallen. How the mighty have fallen. We have the story and it leads to David's heartbreak. David now knows that Jonathan and Saul are slain. David now knows that the transition to him becoming king is about to take place. And these are the words of his heart. We'll roll through them quickly. The Bible says in verse number 17, And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. Now David taught this lamentation. He said, I want to teach our people how to lament and mourn and do things properly. We'll use God's word, the book of Jasher, the book of Joshua. Verse 19, here's the beginning of this poem, this lamentation, his writing. He says, the beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? He says, oh my, the nation of Israel has fallen once again to the Philistines. How are the mighty fallen? Verse 20, tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph he said we don't want the wicked we don't want the enemy to know about this because the mighty have fallen God's people have suffered defeat because of the wickedness of Saul he says we don't want the enemies to know we don't want to know that they've triumphed verse 21 he cries out ye mountains of Gilboa now now where was Saul and Jonathan when they were slain in the mount of what Gilboa that's right Now, it's almost like David considers the place where the battle took place and where Saul lost his life and Jonathan lost his life. And he looks at this place and he says, my land, cursed, that's a cursed place. Have you ever been somewhere that, a place that caused you a lot of grief and you don't even like to go there anymore? And David has this idea about Gilboa. Here's what he says about Gilboa, the place where Jonathan and Saul died. Ye mountains of Gilboa, Let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away. The shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. He says, curse you, Gilboa. He says, I hope that the rain and the dew doesn't fall, that there's no crops on your mountainsides, because that's where the anointed of the Lord was slain. Verse 22 From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not. He begins to praise Jonathan and Saul. There's something interesting that we need to consider as we continue looking through here. David is going to give praise to Jonathan and Saul. 
David does something that I think is something we need to pay close attention to. In Saul's death, he takes an opportunity to mention some things that were positive and good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I preach lots of funerals, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach funerals. I think it's a great opportunity to minister to people. And I try my best to never, and I will not actually, I will never try to preach somebody into heaven. Have you ever been to a a funeral service where uh, it sounded like the preacher was trying to preach them into heaven? Uh, I won't do that. But it is an opportunity, even when we have funerals for folks with less than spectacular character, to mention some things that are good and right. I'm reminded of a story. You'll like this. There was this preacher and a businessman. And the businessman was known to be very crude and cruel. And his brother died, who was also just a scoundrel. The rich businessman came to the preacher and said, I tell you what, preacher, my brother died. And if you'll stand over his body and in his funeral service, call him a saint, I'll give you $100,000. The preacher thought about it for a minute, and he said, Sir, you have a deal. The preacher got to the funeral, and he stood over the man's body, and he preached up a storm. He said, I want you to know something. The man that's laying before me in this casket on this day is a low-down, good-for-nothing, dirty, rotten dog. He's not done a good thing in his entire life. But let me tell you something. Compared to his brother, he is a saint. (laughs) And he cashed the check. (laughs) Now, David is not giving undue glory to a fallen Saul. David is doing something that's honorable. David is looking for opportunities to give praise to a man that was dead. Give praise to a man that in certain ways, along life's way, God had used. And there's not a thing in the world wrong with that. He was trying and he was attempting to appreciate the good. And here's what he says. He says, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow, verse number 22, the bow of Jonathan turned not back. He's thinking about Jonathan in battle. He'd fought side by side with Jonathan before. He said, let me tell you something. You've never seen a man that could use a bow better than Jonathan. What a guy. Then he thinks about Saul. He'd fought side by side with Saul in many battles in the past. And he thinks about Saul and he says, And the sword of Saul returned not empty. He said, You've never seen a man that could wield a sword like big old King Saul. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. And in their death they were not divided. He He said, I'm thinking about the fact that Saul and Jonathan fighting for the glory of God and fighting for the nation of Israel. They fought side by side. Now Jonathan in recent days had had words with his dad. Why in the world, dad, are you turned against David? He loves you. But when it came down to it, when the nation of Israel needed to be defended, Jonathan and Saul fought side by side, hand in hand. He said they were not divided. He said they were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Verse 24, he says, Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul. He says, look, we've got a reason to mourn. You've got a reason to mourn because he clothed you in scarlet. He said, I want you to know, Saul has done some good things for the nation of Israel. And he did. Saul has clothed you in scarlet. 
and with other delights. He put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. Saul has done some good, and we should recognize the good to the best of our ability. Verse 25, he says, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Oh, Jonathan, thou was slain in thy high places. What's he mean? He says, Jonathan, you were slain at the peak of your life. 26, he says, I'm distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful. Passing the love of women. He says, oh, what a love we shared. There's nothing inappropriate about that. They were dear friends and had a kindred spirit and a brotherly love. And David's heart breaks for the loss of his friend. Verse 27, how are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? When David looks at Jonathan Saul, he says, my lands, what weapons they were. What mighty weapons they were. And he says, how are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? He brings this passage of scripture to conclusion. As I study this and I think about the lying Amalekite, I'm reminded, Lord, help us to be people of integrity. When I think of David and his mighty men mourning over Saul, who earlier they wanted to kill, I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to influence one another for the good and the glory of God. And by the way, we have the opportunity to influence people in the wrong way too. How are you using your influence? There's a lesson to be learned. And I think about David's lamentation. David could, like he cursed the ground of Gilboa, curse the existence of King Saul who'd caused him so much grief. But that wouldn't be the spirit of the man after God's own heart. You know what he did? He said, this man's caused me a lot of grief. But I can find reason to praise the Lord. I can find reason to give him a little credit. I can find reason in his death. To honor the man that God anointed. How are the mighty fallen? Oh my, how are the mighty? Oh, this is awful. What has happened? But there's no doubt lots to learn from all that happened. May the Lord help us. Let's pray.